Turn in God's word this morning to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54. And this is a chapter that concerns and that speaks about the church. And specifically a word of God that came to Judah concerning her captivity, a time when Judah would be desolate and the desolation of Judah as the church in the Old Testament is compared to the barrenness of a woman, compared as well to widowhood, compared as well to a wife who has been forsaken. And yet the chapter speaks of God's graciousness to them and God's grace in restoring them. And part of that work of God's grace in the church is, in the words of our text, our children taught by the Lord. Let's read Isaiah chapter 54. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations, Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. The mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me, Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. 
Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of, their lo- of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Our text is verse 13 of this chapter, where we read, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, something of great concern to godly parents is the teaching and the instruction of your children. We sang of that in Psalm 78, sang of the word of God to parents, namely that parents may not hide the things of God from their children, but they must show to the generations to come the praises of God and the Lord's strength, and the wonderful works that the Lord God hath wrought. And at baptism, parents promise to do that. The promise of parents at baptism is, as we heard this morning, to instruct their children in the aforesaid doctrine, or help or cause them to be instructed therein to the utmost of their power. It's a great concern to godly parents that their children are instructed and that their children are taught by them. And that's also a concern of the church. It's a concern that this church and this congregation have. And not only is it a concern that We have as members of the church because quite often the children who are baptized and the children in the church are related to us because we are grandparents or we are uncles and aunts or cousins or some other relative. But it's a concern to the church because the children in the church represent the future of a congregation. And we want all of the children in the church to be taught, and we want them to be taught well, to be taught very well, because it is our desire that they grow up in the fear of God. It is our desire that the children confess the name of Christ. It is our desire that they become faithful members in this congregation. If you are a parent, and if you are a member of the church, and if you are perhaps even a grandparent of the children in the congregation who takes this seriously, then you will hear the words of our text this morning with gladness. Because you know, and we all know, that our efforts are to no avail without Jehovah, our 
covenant God and his work. We will readily admit what our text mentions. Jehovah must teach our children. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Our text, beloved, is a promise of God, a wonderful promise of God, a promise of God that gives us encouragement and a promise of God that gives to his covenant people good hope of success concerning the instruction and teaching of their children. Let us consider then this text under the theme Jehovah teaching our children. Or notice the teaching he does. Secondly, the means that he uses. And finally, the peace that he gives. Jehovah will teach your children. Jehovah will instruct your children in such a way, and that's what the text is speaking of, beloved. Jehovah will teach your children in such a way that the instruction sticks with them. They will be taught. They're not just going to hear things. They're not simply going to be told things, but they will be taught. Jehovah will see to it that they know and that they believe and that they remember the things that he teaches them. It is not you yourself who will do this. It is not a pastor who will do this. It is not a school teacher who will do this. It is not anyone who gives all kinds of time and effort and attention to providing instruction for the children that will accomplish this, but Jehovah will teach them. Jehovah, who is our unchanging covenant God, Jehovah, whose promise to his church and to believers is, I will save you and your seed, and Jehovah, who fulfills his promise, and who fulfills that promise by seeing to it that the children of the people of God, the children of the church, are taught by him. The fact that he is their teacher tells us something about what he teaches them. The text is not referring to the fact that they receive an earthly education. That's not God's concern here. The text is not speaking of the fact that God will see to it that our children are able to read and to write and to do math. The text is not referring to the fact that our children will be able to understand science and geography and history. Those things are not that important to God except insofar as they see God in all those things and as they are using those things to serve God. 
when the text speaks of Jehovah teaching our children, then we have to think of and refer to John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45, a passage actually which quotes the words of our text in Isaiah 54. John 6, 44, 45, where Jesus Christ said this, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That shows us what our text is referring to. God's focus in teaching our children is to draw them unto himself so that they come to God, they come to Christ by faith, so that they know God, so that they love the Lord their God, so that they know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and understand everything that Christ has done for them as covenant children, as children of the church. And so the teaching of God is a teaching that brings the children of the church to a saving knowledge of himself. When God says, I will teach your children, God is saying, I will save them. I will save them. And that's why God must be the teacher. He alone can accomplish that in our children. You and I cannot accomplish that. So great is the natural depravity of our children that no one on earth can change them. No one on earth can change their hearts, their souls. There is no amount of teaching No amount of warnings that we give to our children and no amount of discipline that we administer to our children that will accomplish a thing on its own. We can present to them what we want them to know and we can present to them what we believe they need to understand. We can present to them what they must believe and we can present to them what they must do, but we cannot make them grasp these things. We cannot make them believe these things. We cannot make them love this truth of the Word of God. We cannot cause them to embrace by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot make them truly sorry for their sins. We cannot make them truly understand how much they need Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Only God can do that. So that if your children love and fear the Lord, it's because God has taught them to love and to fear the Lord. And then notice this too from the text, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. 
all of that. As we already indicated, the text is speaking of the church. The church that is described even in the context in the immediately preceding verses 11 and 12, where the church is described in her glory and her beauty, a church that manifests and that reflects the glory of Christ, her head and her bridegroom. And that's the church that is made up of the elect of God. The children mentioned in the text, therefore, are the church's children. The children mentioned in the elect are the in the text are the elect children, those who belong to Christ. And so when the text says that all your children shall be taught of the Lord, does the text does not mean that every single physical child that is born to believers will be taught of the Lord. If it did mean that, then as we know from the text, that would mean that all of them are saved. And yet we know from our experience and we know from the scripture itself that sometimes there are children born to believing parents who are not saved by God, who are not elect. Children, which is, of course, a very sad and a grievous thing to godly parents and a struggle for them to submit to the will of God in that regard. The point is, the all does not refer to every physical child, but the all refers to our children who belong to the glorious body of Jesus Christ. The all refers to the children that God has eternally chosen. The all refers to the children whom God loves in Jesus Christ, his son. The all refers to the children whom Jesus Christ died for by his death on the cross, covering their sins in his precious blood. And those are the children that are taught by Jehovah. He teaches them. He teaches them because they are very precious to him. He teaches them because they are the children who have been purchased to himself by the death of his own beloved son. And therefore, he is very interested in them. And he is very interested in their spiritual welfare. And he sees to it that they are taught by him. All those children taught by the Lord. And one more thing, when the text says that God teaches all of them, and that is this, we might think we don't need God to teach all of them. Maybe some, but not all. We can be inclined to think we need the help of God for the difficult ones. We need the help of God for the ones whom we find very hard to teach. We need the help of God in teaching those of our children who have little interest, it seems, in spiritual things. 
We need the help of God to teach those of our children who rebel against us and who stray from the ways of God. And then we say, now I need God. Now I need the help of God to bring them back again, to restore them. And then we think we don't need him really for some of our other children, at least not as much, the children who are easier to teach, the children who listen well, the children who are interested, the children who ask questions. And we say, I can teach them. And we forget they are interested. They ask questions because God has already taught them. That's why. We do well to remember that all of them need to be taught by Jehovah. Every child who comes to know and to love and to obey the Lord God does so only because of Jehovah teaching that child. child doesn't believe, and a child is not saved because you have taught that child so well, and you didn't need God to teach him or her. Never lose sight of that. Concerning every child, the fact that they know and love and believe at all is always a wonder work of the grace of God in them. No praise and no credit is due to us for that. Let God be praised that he teaches our children. And yet we know God does not teach our children directly, that is, without our involvement. If God taught our children directly, then parents could say this morning, there's nothing we need to do. There's nothing we have to do as parents. We can quit teaching our children now. We can quit instructing them. We can quit disciplining them. Jehovah says he is going to teach teach them, and so we'll just Leave it all to him. We don't say that. And we may not say that because we understand that God is a God who uses means. He does that to teach us who are adults. He teaches us through preaching. He teaches us even through the afflictions of life. He teaches us through the chastisements that he brings upon us in this life. He teaches us through discipline. He teaches us through scripture and through prayer. He teaches us through and by means of our fellow believers too. And so likewise with our children. It doesn't happen automatically so that parents can step back and say, let God do his work. There's nothing that we need to do, God uses means. 
God is not dependent upon means, but God is pleased to use that. And one of those means or instruments that God is pleased to use is the church. And in the church, God uses preaching. And God uses preaching for our children as that preaching comes to them Lord's Day after Lord's Day from the pulpit as well as week by week through the catechism instruction that they receive, which we correctly understand and view as being preaching for our children. And so our children must be part of that. We must see to it that they are part of that, part of our worship services and part of the catechism instruction, even at a young age, because ordinarily God has regenerated the children of believers as infants. And the Spirit is at work in them. And the Spirit makes the word that they hear through the preaching of the gospel and the word that they hear through the preaching in the catechism room effective for them, producing faith in them. And so the church, and we who are involved in this work in the church of Jesus Christ, say, Lord, although we do these things very imperfectly as a church, and as office bearers in the church, be pleased nevertheless, Lord, to use that as a means to teach our children. Use the preaching and use the catechism instruction to teach them about thyself, to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and to teach them about the wonders of the gospel of grace that are for them and applied to them by thy spirit, taught by means of the church. But another important means that God is pleased to use is parents. Parents, as you know, you have a high calling. You are the ones who, who are chiefly responsible to instruct your children. And as parents, you may not and you cannot simply hand off your children to others and say, now, let others take care of it. It's not my duty anymore. Parents are the ones who must raise and instruct their children. Parents are the ones who must do that to the utmost of their ability and power as they promise when their children are baptized. And so parents, in addition to seeing to it that their children are taught in church by being there to hear the preaching and by being there to be instructed in catechism, are parents who teach their children also in the home. The godly father says what Joshua said in Joshua 24, verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve God in our home. We're going to serve Jehovah in our home, not the gods of this world, not the God of leisure, 
not the God of entertainment, not the God of riches, not the God of sport, not the God of wealth and success in this life, but Jehovah God. And we will serve Jehovah God in our home by teaching our children concerning spiritual things. We will teach our children from the Word of God. We will teach our children about God Himself. We will teach our children about the Lord Jesus Christ. We will teach our children about sin and about their own sin, which is why we will discipline our children. And in all this teaching of our children, we will point them to the cross of Christ. Point them to their Savior. Point them to Him whom they need. Lead them to see they must be sorry for their sins against us, against each other, and against God so that they learn they need Jesus Christ. The godly parent is always struck by the fact that God is willing to use parents for this. Parents who have weaknesses. Parents who fail to teach their children well. Parents who are inconsistent. Parents whose lives sometimes contradict what they teach their children. Parents who make mistakes. Parents who give their children too much freedom. Parents who are not always very spiritually minded. Parents who are themselves sinners. And a bad example to their children. And godly parents realize that. It is a proud parent who, when a child goes astray, says, it's none of my fault. I've done everything perfectly. I've done everything right. But it's a humble parent who says, I'm amazed that God uses me, that God uses us for the teaching of our children and uses that as a means to work faith in them and to save and so godly parents stand before that calling and they pray Lord though we do it very imperfectly be pleased to teach our children through the meek through the weak means that we are as parents to our children Then thirdly, beloved, in close connection with the work of parents, we may add that God is also pleased to use our Christian schools. Our schools exist because godly parents realize they need help in the education of their children. Very few parents have the ability and very few parents have the knowledge 
to teach all of the subjects to their children that their children need. And even if there are parents who do have the ability to do that, very few have the time. They already are full-time busy. Busy as a father to support his family and busy as a mother, as a mother caring for the home and the children in the home. And so believers work together for the education of their children. Our forefathers understood that. Our forefathers established Christian schools. They established those Christian schools as an extension of our Christian homes and families. And they made great sacrifices to establish our Christian schools, which we ought to appreciate. They probably gave up a lot more than we need to give up for the sake of having our Christian schools. And now we have that. God has preserved that. God has given them to us. And we're able to work together as God's covenant people for the education of our covenant children. And we ought never to lose sight of the blessing that our schools are. We ought never to take our Christian schools for granted. We ought to be very thankful for that. Are they perfect schools? No. Do they require sacrifices of money and time and energy? Yes, many sacrifices. But a godly parent says, that's worth it. That's worth it because what a blessing it is to have my children in such a school. Children being taught by godly teachers. Children being taught the same thing in the school as we teach them in the home and as they are taught in the church. We will gladly support these good Christian schools and we will gladly send our children to that. So godly parent prays, Lord, be pleased to preserve our schools. And Lord, be pleased to provide teachers for our schools. And Lord, be pleased to teach our children also through the good Christian schools that we have and the godly teachers that thou hast provided for us in that. That's another means that God uses to teach our children. And the promise and the sure word of God, because that's what God's promise is, it's a sure word. It's not simply a wish. The promise of Jehovah is this. Because I teach them, great shall be the peace of thy children. What is peace? 
Literally, the word refers to being full, being complete, lacking nothing, having complete joy, complete happiness. That is, having complete salvation. You see, beloved, we do well to remember this too. There's only one thing that can give and that will give such peace, such tranquility, such completeness to our children. And it's not going to be anything earthly. Peace will not be found in earthly things. Peace will not be found and will not be experienced by our children through earthly success. Peace will not be experienced by our children through earthly accomplishments. Peace will not be experienced by them through earthly riches. Peace peace will not be something they can enjoy because they have earthly joys and earthly pleasures in their lives. Just look at the successful, you might call them from an earthly point of view, the successful ungodly. The ungodly sometimes have all of those things. They have earthly success. They have their great accomplishments in life. They have all of the riches that their soul could want. They have earthly joys. They have earthly pleasures. A lot more than we can even keep up with. Do they and their children have peace? Are they complete? Are they full? Are they satisfied? Do they have lasting joy? You know the answer as well as I. The promise of God of peace for our children is the promise of spiritual peace. Spiritual peace. To have peace is to have perfect and complete salvation. To have peace is to have the full forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. To have peace is to know God as our God, our covenant God. To know that God has saved us. To have peace is for our children to know God for themselves personally. To know God so that they say, God is my God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross not only to cover the sins of others, but to cover my sins. That's peace. Because when you have that, then you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have that peace, then you know God is for you and not against you in your life in this world and to all eternity. And when you you have that, then you have something that is lasting and nothing can separate you from that peace. 
And that's the peace that God gives our children. Our children that are his children. And gives it to them through faith in Christ. A faith by which they know they are saved. A faith by which they know they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith by which they are humbled and they confess their sins before God. And a faith by which they can experience peace with God through Jesus Christ, their Lord. And that's the peace that God promises to give our children. That's the peace that Jehovah will give them when He teaches them. He uses the means that we have mentioned. He uses the church. He uses our homes. He uses parents. He uses our Christian schools. And he blesses that. And in the way of God's people faithfully providing godly and good instruction to the children that God gives them, God blesses those children with peace. And nothing could be more important for that. Not riches, but peace in their souls. Not earthly success, but peace in their souls. Not every possible joy and pleasure in life, but peace in their souls. And that's the peace that you want for your children that you want them to have. And pray, you pray earnestly that God will give it to them. We certainly need this sure promise of God. We need it because we carry out our calling as parents and as church and teachers in our schools in much weakness and with many sins. And at the end of the day, we might say it's a wonder that any of our children are saved. We need Jehovah. Jehovah God is our only hope. Jehovah God who is gracious and willing to use weak means fulfill his promise to save believers and their seed. And Jehovah God who is faithful, as our covenant God, he will see to it that the children of God are taught, that they are saved, and then that they are blessed with everlasting peace in their soul. May God so bless you parents and us as a church in the salvation of our covenant seed. Amen. Lord God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We are humbled by the grand promises of scripture and the promises of thee, our God, we know we are not worthy, we never are, but 
Thou art gracious, thou art good, and we are thankful for thy sovereign work of grace in us and in our seed, and even thy graciousness in using us as weak means to that end. Give us encouragement and give us hope in Jesus Christ, thy Son. In his name we pray. Amen.